I just want to say I'm glad you're here, <laughs> because if not, we'd just keep singing. For real. If it was, if, if it was just me this morning, I'm telling you. Yes, uh, but I'm really excited. We're in a series called Story, and uh, we have been in this series all summer, and so what we've been doing is we've been sharing the gospel. And uh, we've been doing that through your stories, through stories that uh, are your life. But, you know, we said last week that these stories that you've been hearing over the course of the summer are every bit as gospel as Zacchaeus or Luke or Matthew or anybody else that you read about uh, through the life of Jesus as he is transforming lives with his good news, with his grace, with his mercy, with his second chances, uh, that there are these stories continuing to be written and that you are a part of those stories. We said all along that everyone has a story. And you may not know that, you may not realize that, you may not think that you have a story, you may think that your story doesn't matter, that it's small, that it's insignificant, that it's not powerful. You know, my story doesn't have, you know, cancer and homelessness and all these things, but I'm telling you, your story matters because it's your story and it's a story of transformation, it's a story of Jesus taking hold of your heart and somebody in your circle, in your sphere of influence needs to hear your story. And so we wanted to come out of this, this season this summer having you understand that you have a story and that story is still continuing to be written and it's being written to be told. And so while you may not sit up here and tell your story, you'll sit somewhere this week in an office or in a house or in a workplace or in a park or somewhere where there's going to be an opportunity for you to share at least in part your story. And so just get used to understanding and sharing and those sorts of things. And so today, uh, we had to do a little switcheroo this week. Uh, today's story, uh, we kind of switched two dates due to some, some unseen circumstances, but today, uh, Roe Archer is with us. And so she's going to begin to share some of her story. And I just want to tell you where our, our stories kind of began to intersect. She called me, uh, oh goodness, a couple months ago. And she said, hey, pastor, I just need to, to sit down and talk with you. I've got something on my heart. And uh, so we sat down. I'm not going to give you that until the end. I'll tell you the context of that conversation at the end. And um, I immediately when I got the email and I looked, I saw my to-do list. Now I'm old school. I still write a to-do list. Anybody else? Still write it to do. I love to see check marks. And so, but there was one or two unresolved things that I would, you know, have to move to the next week. You know, I'd flip and write it on the next week. And then it, you know, still didn't have an answer to it. And so I'd flip and write to the next week. And there was a big check mark that got to be put on my to-do list when she called me. And so her story intersected with my story. And it's going to become a big part of our story. So we're really excited about that. But before we get to that, um, let's kind of talk about how your story began. Okay. And Jesus was not always a part of that. Yeah. Um, Jesus was not in the picture of my life. Um, I was um, born and raised in the inner city of Chicago um, to a single mom. I knew my dad. Um, growing up in the projects, I saw a lot of violence. Um, firsthand, my dad was shot nine times when I was like nine. He's now paralyzed from the waist down. Probably the following year later, my grandma was brutally murdered by her neighbor, um, no good reason. Um, I grew up in a home where I didn't know what love looked like. I didn't have any love, um, so that kind of left me empty. And so as I began to become a teenager, uh, I just went to the streets looking for love because I didn't have it at home. So I was like, okay, well, if my mom or my dad or my aunt and uncles don't love me, then somebody in the streets got to love me. Oh, I was so wrong. Um, totally the opposite. So at 15, I became a mom to Erica. Two years later, I, I became a mom to James, only by God's grace, which I didn't know who he was at the time that I finished high school. Um, I made a lot of poor choices out of having him. Um, I thought 
buying Eric and James the latest Power Wheels, the next Jordans, that I was the best mom in the world. But I was really missing out on the great memories you create with kids where you just love them and you don't discipline them for the small things. And so, again, more bad choices. Um, I moved to Iowa City, Iowa. Erica was about four, James was two. And oh, I just went down here from there. Started partying a lot, drinking, smoking weed, sleeping around, just doing everything. And I missed out on a lot of my kids' upbringing because I was busy in the streets partying. And in the streets, you think it's fun, smoking weed and, and getting drunk all the time, but even though I, I felt like that was filling a void, I still was empty. That was nice, I would go home alone after being high and drunk and still filling this empty void and feeling this guilt and shame, like, is this it? This can't be it, there's gotta be more to life. Like, but still, I continue the cycle of, of just destructive behavior and then some more sin and some more um, consequences. And I moved to Bloomington, Illinois, probably about 13 years ago. And um, I met this couple. Um, at first, I met this one girl named Heather, who later introduced me to her neighbors. But then Heather was a single mom as well. So when she came to my house one day with this car that wasn't hers, I was a little shocked. I was like, who car do you have? She was like, oh, my neighbors. Routinely, she would come over with this van, and I was like, this is weird, from the hood, you don't let anybody borrow your car. I was like, why are they letting you borrow their car? And she was like, they're Christians. I was like, what is that? She was like, oh, when you believe in Jesus. Oh, okay. So one day, the wife came over, her name's Mimi, and um, she was just really bubbly and upbeat, and she was just, just chiffering, and before she walked away, she was like, ladies, we should all hang out sometimes and you know, like do each other toes and read the Bible. When she left, <laughs> I told Heather, I was like, she's crazy. She's not touching my toes, and I'm not reading no Bible. No way. Um, let's just say Mimi was persistent. She was gentle. She was loving. She was caring. And then one day when she saw us, she loaned us her van again. Um, she said, hey, would you ladies like to go to church? It had been a couple of Christmases, because in our community, we only go to church Christmas, Mother's Day, Easter, and all that. So I was like, sure, I'll go. It's been a while. I walked into this church. I'll never forget it. July 23rd, 2006, and these folks was filled with something that I was not filled with. So I was a little taken back. Every time the pastor would preach, I would just bawl my eyes out because I'm like, it's like he knows my sin. How do he know? Like, there's no way he knows what I did last night. So I kept coming to church. Um, that was like a struggle for my soul because Jesus was starting to show himself more and more through the sermons and through Mimi and her husband and then through the church. But then I had my friends from the world that would call me and tell, keep me up all night. So I'm like, oh, I'm not going to church this morning, but Erica and James can go. And so um, I hit rock bottom. I went out of, about back to Iowa to party and just was at my lowest. And so I remember on my bus ride back from Iowa City to Bloomington, Illinois, I told God, I was like, if you're really real, you have to show me. And Mimi had given, had give, at this time, had given the, me the book, The Purpose Driven Life. And that book wrecked me, like everything from materialistic to worshiping idols to having these empty voids from mommy and daddy issues to running behind fake people. Like it described me in the book along with scripture and I was just wrecked. So Mimi invited me to be a part of her small group. They kept praying for me. They had asked me at some point, um, have you accepted Jesus? I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what that meant. So they kept asking me and I kept being weird about it but not telling them I didn't understand what they were saying. I was like, yeah, you sure? Yeah, but no, I didn't. So at some point in reading the Purpose Driven Life book, there comes a point in the, the book where Rick asks you if you believe that Jesus is the Lord, and I had confessed that. And so December 6, 2006, I got baptized. I had officially accepted Jesus into my heart. 
And let's just say it's just been a uphill from there. Like Jesus has showed himself and showed himself in so many ways that I, I can't even describe. So going from so once I told my cousin them I was and my mom them I was coming becoming a Christian, they was like, Oh, she didn't join a cult or she she's this is not real because I went from being crazy and negative to soft and a little bit gentle and they wasn't used to that. So it was kind of different for a little bit. And what you saw in there, and we talked about this, especially with your kids, you know, like early on, uh, you know, your teenage mom. And you thought that parenting was, you know, providing yes, these yes. next things or the, the best things. And, and then you got to this point where Jesus began to redeem time. Yes. And we talk, I talked about that with somebody this morning about how God is, is a redeemer of time. Yes. You know, that there's no yes. wasted time. It's, yeah. it's redeemed time. And so you began to parent them differently. You began to lead differently. You began to do all these things differently. And it's amazing, too. Uh, we, we sat and laughed last night. Um, Jesus enters the room sometimes through some pretty odd things. Yes. In your case, it was borrowed cars and pedicures. Yes. <laughs> and we think sometimes that stuff doesn't matter. And, yes. you know, just showing people, you know, generosity and community and yes. spending those moments in what is really kind of minuscule, insignificant things. I mean, we all get our toes done, right? And, and we don't think about Jesus using those moments, but that's exactly what he did. Um, I get my toes done. I don't know what you guys are doing. But, uh, um, but... Jesus uses these, and so enters Mimi and Rich, and so transformation begins to kind of take place, but he wasn't done there. There was still a couple of obstacles Um, that kind of loomed in your past. Yes. So there were some some things that I had to deal with from my past, and sometimes um, when you're out of sin, you don't look at those sin anymore. If you're like, oh, that's not me, I'm different. But um, one day, I was just at a breaking point, just reading my Bible, and, and I just was wrecked. I was on my knees crying, and I couldn't figure out why, and God just clearly spoke to me through the power of his Holy Spirit. He was like, before you move forward, you need to do this. You need to seek forgiveness from this one person. I'm like, really? Like, I don't like this person, blah, blah, blah. So between me and God, I, I wrote this person a letter. I didn't tell anyone. And probably a week later, my cousin called me. She's like, hey, so-and-so just called me, said they need your number. And I told them, no, she's not gonna, she don't want your phone call. So I was like, it's fine. She was like, but she told me that you wrote her letter. Why didn't you tell me about it? And I was like, that was just between God and I. I felt like that was the best thing for me to do just in secrecy. And she was like, I can't believe you did that. That was really brave of you. I, she just kept saying she couldn't believe I did it. And so this person and I, we talked on the phone for like 30, 40 minutes, and there were some closures. And after that, like seriously, this was in 2007, 2008, God just went up. We just went into different fields and ministries and seasons where I have never thought I would be at. Going back to college, meeting Lisa Miller Rich, just doing things I said I would never, ever do. God started showing up the following year because I said, okay. I said, yes. I said, yes, I will seek forgiveness. Yes, I'll repent from the sin. Yes, I'll do this. And then the following year, he just showed up. So we moved from Mimi and Rich to the riches. To the riches. And you, you described to me, too, and, and so just kind of tell everybody what that process is like. But you said, you know, that's when things really began to take off. The, yes. And you found yourself in, in, in some, some uncharted territory. Yes. Um, so and from, I became a Christian in 2006, asked for forgiveness in 2007, 2008. Um, someone at my, church, my first church was like, hey, there's a single mom's Bible study at Eastview. Would you like to go? Because we didn't have one at our church. I was like, sure, I'll go. And so we went to Eastview, which was... It's another story. Um, we went there, and this lady gets on stage, and, she, and obviously it's a single mom's Bible study, so you think it's, oh, she's going to tell you that you're a sinful mom or you need to do, be better. No, she told you about Jesus. Either you get on board with Jesus or you don't. And she just modeled, like, she just gave us different scriptures on how to model 
to our kids how to be Jesus. And so I was like, I like this. And so I stuck around with one of the small group leaders and we would like meet together every summer and then every other week during the summer of 2008. And Lisa came by to one of our groups and I was like, hey, we chatted a little bit. And then I was like, my daughter at the time was calling her mom. I was like, no, that's not your mom. That's totally my mom. So I moved, moved, moved Eric out the way and Lisa became my mom. And so that summer, I remember emailing her about some crazy stuff. If I can go back to those emails, it was a mess. But Lisa like kind of, not kind of, but gently responded to those emails and love and with scriptures and different like scenarios of how you can do this and that. And I was like, oh, okay. So I decided to stick around at this Bible study group, and I saw for the first time how Christian moms love their kids. Like, I didn't know I love my kids. I thought buying the material things was love, but I saw Christian moms love them and be gentle to kids. I was like, oh, you don't scream, and you don't knock their head off for every little thing. You love them, and then if they don't get that, then you, you, know, you give them a whooping. So um, <laughs> I... Um, if, if you talk to Lisa, if you talk to Lisa Miller Rich and she'll tell you when she first met me, I was not gentle and kind to Erica and James. Um, I probably was very harsh. Um, if I had a do-over, I would, but you know, it's in the past. Um, so, but again, I saw these Christian leaders model to me how to be a Christian mom, how to be a Christian leader, how to be a godly wife, because I'd never seen marriage growing up in the hood. And so it was a great season in 2008. And it birthed something in you that through now almost a decade, or a little over a decade, has, has culminated in the email that you sent me because leadership got instilled. Hell yeah. And, the, and that has not just blossomed in your workplace, which you, you, know, you moved to Nashville, and, and, and you can tell us a little about that, but okay. you know, where your work has really taken off uh, from a leadership standpoint. But then this email that you sent me was just a, a call where you said, okay, yes, you know, God's saying, all right, here's what I need you to do. Here's what, what I've got for you. All I need you to do is say yes. You fire an email. And so all of this past training, equipping, modeling yes. has now come full circle yes. to you taking hold of something. Yes. Okay, so um, both of my kids went off to college, and it was just me. But probably about two, three years ago, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm just going to be completely single. No kids, no nothing. What am I going to do with my life? But I fast forward to rewind it back to about five years ago, um, Lisa pulled me um, aside and was like, let's do coffee. And I was like, okay, we go do coffee at Starbucks. And she was like, I'm going to tell you before you find out because you're not on Facebook, but we're moving to Nashville. I was like, what? I'm supposed to have my wedding in your backyard. You're not supposed to go. It was about me. And so she, at the end of the conversation, she's like, but you can go. I was like, no, I got my own life. And so I said no. So uh, four years ago, I, I, my job was in transitioning. And so I told Lisa, because I would always still call her and get prayers and, and all that. She was like, you can still come to Nashville. I was like, went to my kids. That was a no. And so I was like, OK, this is a deal. In three years, if, this is not, if I'm not financially stable, I'm leaving. So last year, I told everybody out of prayer and fast. And I was like, I'm moving to Nashville. They was like, no way. I was like, yes. So with that, I, um, I quit my job a month early, God told me to, which was weird because I was broke financially, um, but he provided. Um, I gave up my Section 8 housing. I gave up food stamps. I was like, I'm just going to move to Nashville out on a wimp, and I believe Jesus is going to provide. And so I did. So I quit my job, and let's say the riches just opened up their house to me, and they was like, this is your home. You're here for however long you need to be here until you get on your feet. I was like, okay. And so they was like, we already have a church home, but this doesn't have to be your church home. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm coming with y'all. So anyway, um, I, I came through the doors, and everyone just welcomed me here. And 
And um, as time played on, I, I, I realized that there was something missing here. And there was something in my heart that was missing. But then I struggled with it internally. I didn't tell anyone, not even Lisa. I just like, okay, God, I'm just gonna go. We just, I'm just gonna go to the cross with this. I don't know what this looked like, what this feel like. Why am I feeling this emptiness? Not because I was alone. It was just like there was something missing. And so I just kept going at it with prayer and a little bit of fasting, trying to figure out what God was trying to tell me. And so finally, I went to Lisa and I shared with her, and she was very open to what I was sharing with her. Obviously, now I know she wasn't really open to it, but as a mom, that's what you do. You pretend like you're happy with some choices your kids make. And so um, she, she pretended really well in prayer, though. And so I came back to her after prayer, praying. I was like, I think this is what God's telling me. Go to Jason as a leader and express to him what you feel, because that's what you are. You're a leader. And this is not like a boyfriend and girlfriend where you pout and you turn your back. You, you go to your leader and you express your concerns. And so after praying, I was like, okay, I'm going to say something to Jason. So then I, I sent the emails to Jason. and. Well, an email, I think, yes, and say, hey, can we meet? He said, sure, and we sat down, small talk about friends. It was really weird. I wore my friend's shirt, and we had our conversation oh, yeah. started. And so that was cool. So then um, I just expressed to him, I was like, um, I come from a church back in Bloomington, Illinois, where it was a mega church of 5,000. And um, I remember Lisa telling me vaguely that your name is golden on these people on tongue, like they love you and they, they see you as a leader and I'm just like, I'm past that stage in life, I'm at a different season, so what is God doing in my life here at Wellhouse? And so I shared with Jason, I was like, I don't see diversity in our church. I was like, I'm the only black person and I don't have anything against that. My last church, I was there for 10 plus years and that's what I was not used to, but this is a different season of my life and I think that we're really segregated and I did go to different churches on Sunday mornings and some African American churches, but it was still no diversity. And I was like, what's the deal? So I was like, well, if I'm not gonna go to a diverse church, then I might as well go back to Wellhouse. And so then I reached back out to Jason and Jason said, let's meet, we chatted and we prayed. And he's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this is like a prayer answer. And I was like, what do you mean? And he started going through his to-do list. And he said, this has been on my to-do list for so many months. Oh, how do we cross barriers for, you know, African-American people come to our church? How do we get them invested into our community? Because we're one. And it was, and and one of the things I want to backtrack for just a second before I get to to my to do list. But um, you know, one of the things that that maybe everyone doesn't know, but Mimi and Rich were white people. They were. They were. And you said <laughs> at first, like, I I don't trust this. Yes. I don't believe this. Yes. What Somebody want? wants something from yeah. me. Yes. And then this over years, mm -hmm. authentic love was yes. displayed over and over and over. Yes. And it took a while to figure out there was no strings. Mm -hmm. And so that led you through a little bit of trust. Yes. That led you through transformation. That yes. led you to relationship. That led you to, with, yes. with Lisa. That led you to leadership. Yes. That led you to punch an email. Yes. To a guy who... We had met, but didn't really know each other. Yes. And uh, I knew enough about, and and like I said, I, I, I shut the top on my laptop, and I went directly to my to-do list. And in that, for, for probably six to eight weeks, it had rolled every week. Mm -hmm. And all it said was racial conversation. That's all I wanted. And I didn't know as a white pastor, I didn't know where to go to get that. And I knew it was my responsibility. I wouldn't mm -hmm. put it on anybody, but I thought, you know what? Like I'm, I'm, I'm a part of a ministerial alliance uh, here in Goodlettsville, and there's a couple of black pastors. They're older, and I thought, 
is that weird for me to like walk up and go, hey, can we have a conversation about race? And so fear yes. kept me from crossing those lines. And, and so I'm struggling, like, where do I start with this? And I'd hit up a couple of youth group kids from way back that are now young adults, like in their late, late 20s. And I got shut down there. They just, they weren't in a place spiritually or kingdom oriented to have that conversation. And that was discouraging. I thought, well, you know, I thought they would be ones that would like do coffee with me and, and that wasn't happening. And, and so I didn't want to be weird. I wanted to be sensitive, but I also wanted to be proactive. And I had no clue until you emailed me and said, hey, can we have a conversation? And here's the thing you need to know about this conversation. She didn't tell me what she wanted. No. <laughs> I just she said, just said hey, can we meet? Which, you know, I'm thinking, like, what's wrong? What's happening? What I do? What I say? You know, all <laughs> these things. And uh, then she just said, hey, here's kind of what I've been, been going through, and this is what God has called me to do. And I love what you said that day. You said, I believe that God has called me to partner with you yes. to lead our church yes. through diversification. Yes. And so from that, uh, I put a big fat check mark by that, and then I created another to-do list that was starting to build toward what we don't even know what's going to look like, but I knew that those conversations began to happen. And so Rosie came in, or Ro came in to, to speak and, and kind of just open up some dialogue about uh, what that can look like mm -hmm. and, and shared her story, and she shared it with leadership and staff and and I knew that this series was coming. I knew that this had to be a part of that. And one of the things that you and I kind of landed on was this, is that this is a major, major thing for us to talk about yes. and not just talk about, but figure out how yeah. to be proactive. Yes. And one of the things you said yesterday that, that I wanted everybody to see was this, and it was a question that if the kingdom of heaven is not segregated, mm -hmm. why on earth is the church? Yes. And... I think throughout the night, I realized the reason is us. It's you, it's me, it's us. That's why it is what it is. And so if we are responsible for that, we're responsible for fixing that. Yes. Addressing that. Amen. Having conversation about that. Being proactive in that. And so, um, I just want you to know, I mean, you are an answer to my prayer. And uh, I I'm glad that you had the courage to sit down behind a keyboard and type, will you meet with me? Uh, because I think what it has done, it has opened up something in my life and in my ministry that I've been longing for. And I think it's going to open up something for us uh, as a church. Yes. I think that it's going to, to create a partnership that is going to speak volumes, yes. even when words aren't used. Uh, I think that it's going to speak volumes when words are used. Yes. I think that, that the conversation and the leadership that you're going to bring to the table on this is amazing. Now, here's what we don't know. We don't know what this is going to look like. Other than we know that we're going to launch out into our community, continuing to do some things that we've done, but we're going to do them with even more intentionality. We're going to do them having uh, opportunity to equip and yes. learn and ask good questions and bad questions and, and be told those are really bad questions and that's not the way that we, we you know, and so we're going we're gonna to do our best to open up. And so this fall, that's what we're going to do. We're going to start with our schools. We're going to start with this community. We're gonna, we're, you're going to see some things move around this fall a little bit uh, in order to be able to do that in the heart of Goodlettsville. You know, one of the things that Ro asked me when we met that first time, she says, hey, are there black people in Goodlettsville? <laughs> and I said, just come to Goodlettsville Middle School one day and just walk the halls. The answer to that is absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that God has uniquely positioned us to tackle this for Goodlettsville. Uh, it's no secret that Goodlettsville doesn't have any 
to any major extent, any integrated churches. You know, everybody kind of, you know, just historically has kind of kept. And I think God says, no, I'm going to put you there. And then I'm going to put Roe there. And then we're going to open this up. And we're going to allow the Spirit of God to come over this place. And we're going to begin to uh, tackle hard conversations but needed conversations. And so I just want to say thank you for that. Um, God is still writing your story. And I'm glad he wrote me into it. I'm glad he wrote us into it because I'm excited about what that can mean for us and, uh, you know, what that's going to mean for our community. And there's going to be more to tell. And, and, and so I'm excited about that. So I want to end our session with this. Um, I want to pray for you. And I want you to do something. I want you to pray for us. I want you to pray for our church. I want you to pray for our leadership. I want you to pray for uh, all of us as we begin to, to ponder and wonder, like, okay, what does this really mean? And, and, and maybe that's going to cause us to have to confront some things yes. that we don't think are there. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's going to have to cause us to look out and be more aware of things that are there yes. and uh, all of that. And so uh, if you don't mind, I would love to, to yes. end us that way. And yes. so let's just pray. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for Roe Archer. I thank you for someone who bar, let, let a, a van be borrowed. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that someone said, I love to do toes. God, you are orchestrating every bit of that. I thank you for redeemed time that she was able to go back and redeem some time with her children and her past and her family. And God, I, I'm grateful for the modeling that she has done since then, the growth that has taken place since then. I'm grateful that uh, leaders poured into her and saw something in her that she didn't see in herself. Uh, God, I'm grateful that um, in that process, we looked beyond what was exterior and we looked at what, uh, God, you planted in her and, and these potentials and these these just characteristics and personality and and. And intellect, and, and God, we're grateful for, for, for someone seeing that and beginning to call you to capitalize on that. God, I'm grateful that she wrote an email. I'm grateful that we sat at Caliber Coffee and shared a, a moment of relationship that led to a moment of conversation that I believe has the transformation of a church and community in it. And so, Father, I pray that you reveal to us what is next. God, we, I pray that you, 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 you just give us the courage and strength to, to seek that, to seek you, to seek uh, diversity, to, 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 to authentically love what you've created. And that is mankind, and that is each tribe and each nation and each color. God, I pray that you will allow us to, to, to create relationship based on one common thing, and that is Jesus, and that has been created in the image of you. And that's what we seek. And I'm grateful that Roe chose to put her hand in my hand and help lead us through this. God, you knew that I can't do this. I don't know. And, and, and I can read and do. But a God, to have someone who is real and, 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 and so inviting and kind and, and is willing for me to ask stupid things and to talk through confusion and talk through my insecurities and all the... God, I'm grateful that you... you, 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 you caused Roe to intersect in my story. And so, Father, I pray that we will capitalize on this in a way that is honoring to you, that is kingdom glorifying, that is kingdom building. And, Father, we do. We want to answer the question, but we want to be able to answer the question of why is church segregated with we're not. We're not. 
And so, God, I pray that you use us in this process to not just diversify ourselves, but to have other conversations with other churches and other pastors who are struggling with some of the same things. God, it's vital. It's important. It's kingdom. It's heaven. And we pray again that heaven would come on earth in this way. And thank you for using uh, Roe in the process. Bless her. Bless her, her kids as they are in the midst of figuring out young adulthood and, and all that goes with that. And Father, we just pray that you would allow them to step into their generation and take the cues from their mother of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. We pray this through your son's name. Amen. Thank you, Heavenly Father, so much for this day. Thank you so much for your new grace, your new mercy. Thank you so much for Wellhouse Church. Father God, I lift this church to you. I pray, Father God, for an outpour of your Holy Spirit in all of our lives. Raise us up to be the leaders that you have called us to be. Father God, I pray for our young kids. I pray, Father God, that you would touch their hearts and souls, that you would raise them up to be leaders of their generation. Father God, we pray that you would send people from every nation, every tribe to come to Wellhouse and be a part of our community. Father God, I pray that whatever goes on with the diversity that we have planned, that you would have us help us to have the resources to share with other churches to, so that we all can be diverse father god we need more of you we need more of your son jesus we pray that your son jesus would be on the throne of all of our hearts we pray that we will faithfully follow you we pray father god over the distraction we pray over the evil spirits that's hovering over our lives we pray in the name of jesus that you will remove these spirits and shower us with the light the light of the power of your spirit father god we need you and we pray that you would raise us up to be the church that you have called us to be Help us to not be comfortable. Help us to be uncomfortable. Help us to look around us. Give us a clear vision, a clear focus to see other brothers and sisters that don't look like us, but how can we love them? So, Father God, I ask in Jesus' name that you would strengthen us as a church, that you would strengthen us as one, that you would help us to love each other and help us to grow more into our um, leadership role. And we need you, Jesus, and we pray all these things in your precious and powerful name. Amen. Amen. You guys thank Roe for giving us the story today. As we kind of conclude today, I just um, I was drawn I was drawn back to something that Peter said or God said through Peter. He said, "You know, you talking about all of us, all believers, all people." He said, "You are a royal priesthood." And in context, he was talking to what would be white and black today. He was talking to Jew and Gentile. He was talking to all sorts of conflicting cultures. But he says, no, you are a royal priesthood. So it caused me to, to question, you know, how, how does one become royal? How, how is one qualified to be royal? You know, that's such a big thing, to be royalty. God shows us what it means to qualify to be royal when he chose David. Way back in 1 Samuel, God is appointing a new king. And so he goes, he sends a guy named Samuel to the house of Jesse. And he says, hey, I want you to go. He's got a son that uh, has been chosen for king. Go and anoint him as the new king. And so Jesse lines up all of his sons, and the first one comes out, Elab, says he's a striking, strong, physical, would give the presence of a king. And Samuel says, oh, well, this is easy, this one for one, right? This is it. And God says, no, no, no. It's not him. 
So then he goes to the next one, Abinadab. Surely this is the guy. I mean, he has the intellect, the wit, and he's good-looking, tan, and dark. And God says, no, it's not him. And so Jesse proceeds to show him seven sons. And Samuel says, which one, God? And he says, none of those. He says, well, that's it. He says, no, there's one more. So he comes back to Jesse and he says, Jesse, do you have another son? And he said, well, I mean, we got David, the kid who's out tending sheep. I mean, it's the, the least of the task. There's very little that can go wrong when tending sheep, and that's where he's at. It, it, we kind of give him the, you know, foolproof job for the day. And Samuel says, send for him. And so this kid comes in, and I think Samuel went, God, are you kidding me? You see what I see? God says, oh, yeah, I see what you see, and I see more. In verse 7, after he got finished with son one, this is what God told him. He says, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. So I just want to ask you, what do you look at? People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that's how God chose a king. And that's how God qualifies all of us as a royal priesthood. I just want to say, you know, I think (laughs) we're more worried about the appearance of mermaids than God is worried about choosing kings and queens family, royal priesthoods, holy nations. And I just want to make sure that we position ourselves to have the eyes to look beyond the outward appearance. And I don't care if that's black or if that's any other color or any other barrier that we see with our eyes. God, will you help us to see the hearts of people? And so I just want to really be clear going forward on where we are on this. I believe that racism is not only a social problem, it's a sin problem. It's a sin problem. It's a moral. Guys, it's not something that we get to choose in this social culture what side we're on. It's a a spiritual issue. And Ro, I'm glad that you and I are going to tackle a spiritual issue. Not a social issue only, but a sin issue. And so we're going to be committed to being a part of the solution and not a continuation of the problem. And so I'm excited about that. It's like you said, Ro, the kingdom is integrated. If you fast forward all the way to the end, Revelation 5, it says that there's this picture of heaven that John sees. And he says, what I see is every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every color, bowing and worshiping the Father the one that created them in his image. So where do we start? Two things came to mind. And while I don't know what this is going to look like for us as a church, I think there's two central starting places for us. Number one, we start at the cross. And that's where we confess and we repent. 
of those things that maybe hide out or the things that we've not spoken for and the places that we've not gone, the places we've not cared to go, the places that we've not had the courage to go, that we've been afraid to go, we've not really seen the need to go, and we're going to drag it to the cross and say, God, will you forgive us of that? And then we're going to allow that, that moment of confession, we're going to allow that moment of repentance to lead to transformation that's going to lead to change. And so we're going to go, okay, God, like Isaiah said, here I am, send me. Where do you want me to go, God? I know there's places in this community that, that need the hope and message. The, 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 the consistency of buckling in for years, perhaps. We don't know what this is going to look like. It may take one year, two years, five years, but God, will you give me the longevity, the, the persistence to do this? Because that's what's important to you, so that's important to me. And then we're going to we're going to go and serve our community. We're going to launch into this community in new ways. And we're going to say, God, we don't ever want to look back. So we're going to start at the cross and we're going to start at the table. So who sits at your table? You know, again, it, it's, it's amazing how we, we, we unify around certain things and then we segregate around others. And the thing that's represented around this table and our tables is the sense of community that was given again by Jesus for for all of us and so God we're going to start at the cross and we're going to continue at the table and we're going to look at not just the tables we meet at on Sunday but we're going to look at our physical tables we're going to look at our space the tables we eat around the, the tables we participate in recreation around the, the tables that we have set at work our workplaces and God we want to be mindful of table and who it is that sets at our table and what empty seats are there and who is it that I can invite to occupy those seats and we're going to pray that the ones that occupy the seats have a variety of look, but one common thing, and that's Jesus. And so I'm grateful for these moments. I'm grateful that God just kind of has a way of maneuvering us to greater places. And I believe that he's done that over the last few months, and I'm excited about it. Stand with me. We're going to go into a time of communion as we end today. I want this table today just to be a reminder of the confession and repentance that maybe you need to, to make, but also a place where we begin to, to gain awareness of who it is that we are in community with. And so I pray that all of those things happen today, that those conversations begin to churn within you, between you and the Spirit, between you and God. I pray that you don't rest today. You can't nap today because you're going, God, what is my role in this? Do I need to type an email? God, what is my calling in this? And I pray that we again just open ourselves up and then let God's spirit in so that he will direct our steps and direct our conversations and, and all that will be a part of the larger conversation that leads to this larger picture of diversity. And that's what we hope for. So, Father, we use this table today to be a reminder of who you've created, how you've created them in your image, and that how in your eyes there is, there is a strand of equity that exists beyond what we're able to even see and comprehend sometimes. 
God, will you give us the courage to step into tough conversations, into tough places, places that might be intimidating or places that are unknown and unusual. And God, will you just give us the courage to step into those? And when we step into those with you and your love, it wins. It wins. God, I don't have to understand music. I don't have to understand why I dress certain ways and why this and why that. And God, all I got to understand is how you've loved me and you've called me to love other people. And when I do that, oh, you set the stage for a win. You did it in Rose's life and you'll do it in others. So God, we pray that uh, again, we, we begin to, to, as she said, get uncomfortable. God, I pray for new norms pray for new faces, new opportunities to share an ancient love, love that you says never fails, never runs out, never quits, never fades. And so, Father, I pray that you empower us with that beginning at these tables today. We pray this through your son's name. Amen. You're invited to the tables this morning to participate in communion.